Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, you're listening to the Five Minute Talk Show with Phil Iazetta. We're bringing you today's best comedy and entertainment personalities. Now, your host, Phil Iazetta. Joining us on the Five Minute Talk Show hotline and the Believe Podcast Network is a guy who I've been following for years. I've been lucky enough to have been his friend for years, guy who's gotten me into just as many problems as, well, we'll talk about that at another time. You can hear him on Alexa, Spotify, Jokeland.com, SiriusXM, and even iHeartRadio. Jackie, the joke man, Mortling. Did I miss anything? My uh, 40-year dial-a-joke, 516-922-9463. And if you want to get jokes in the email, jokeland at AOL.com, J-O-K-E-L-A-N-D at AOL.com. And yes, I have gotten you out of a lot of situations, but I would have to add that I probably got you into just as many. (laughs) April 4th, you could check out Jackie at the Del Lago Casino in upstate New York. I think that's the best way to check you out, Jackie, because on stage, live and in person, that's the real Jackie, don't you think? Nothing better than the stage show, you know, because I really get going, you know. You know, that's what I'm getting at, Jackie. Why are comedians so afraid today? Yeah, they do this alternative comedy stuff. They love to tell stories. Some of them not even funny. They go absolutely nowhere. Why are some comedians, I'm not saying all, but why are some comics so afraid to do the setup punchline, to actually tell jokes? I hate to say it, but it's a hard act to follow because a lot of guys are so hip and great and fun, but they forget that the main reason we're there. You know, it's like a baseball player that dresses nice and has, uh, you know, a fancy haircut and pretty girlfriend. The object is to get runs. You know, the object is to get laughs. I'm not up there to teach anybody anything or to make anybody any smarter. It's just laugh, laugh, laugh. You know, uh, IKA Collective uh, is uh, my old radio partner's uh, production company is doing a documentary on me called The Joke Man. And I just saw the trailer. And I just cannot wait to take it around to film festivals because it's going to wake people up and hopefully they're going to say, well, you know, who knew this guy was still around? You know, it's so funny because I'll go on the radio and people will will give me this big buildup and it's amazing plug. And then afterwards, I'll say, you know, in 18 years, Howard Stern never said anything even remotely like that. Like, Jack, he's so funny on stage. You got to see him. It's the greatest show. He just poo-pooed the whole thing. And I didn't ever held it against him because, you know, he didn't need me to grow wings and go anywhere. But, you know, the the, the most left-handed thing was people used to come to my shows, like when I'd go to Phoenix or Chicago or Miami, and they'd come up and say, you know, we kind of came here as a goof. We didn't expect you to be good. You're the funniest guy we ever saw. And it's like, it's kind of a left-handed compliment. Like they, they came to goof on you and they felt it's like, wow, who knew he could do that? You know. Exactly. Because when people when people watch you, Jackie, it beckons back to the days of Henny Youngman, Jack Benny. I mean, how do you feel when you do radio and and you're in a room with a DJ who thinks he's funny, who thinks he's a comic? Not like myself, because I know my place. (laughs) But how do you feel when you go to somewhere and these guys, they, they actually think they're comedians? When I started, you know, back in 1979 or whatever, and we used to go out to clubs, you know, around the country. And 
there, there used to be three acts. There was never an opener and a middle act and a headliner. It was just like three comics. I always went last because I was the loudest and the dirtiest. But then at some point, it kind of morphed into the opener, middle, and headliner. And the comedy clubs all of a sudden like, wait a minute. If we had a local disc jockey to emcee the show, he could talk about it on the radio, and he could be the opener. We could save some money, get some promotion. And it was like, you know, it was a gold mine for everybody. And these DJs couldn't wait. Now, these, a disc jockey, by definition, everybody they meet is somebody they can help. Whether it's a guy that owns a car business or it's a salesman, no matter who it is, they're laying palms in front of them because they can help them. So they think they're the funniest people in the world. You know, they'd say hello and everybody fall down laughing. So they can't wait, number one, to get on stage and get laughs. And they also can't wait to get on stage and say fuck because they can't curse on the radio. And these guys, I watched it. I can't tell you how many times these guys would get up and we all know how quick you find out that there's a lot more to it than saying fuck and standing there. It's a talent. It's an art. And the better you are at it, the easier you make it look. And these disc jockeys all became the biggest fans of comedy because they got a taste of how hard it is and how what happens if it doesn't work. You know what I mean? It's like a, it was a whole wide eye-opening thing, which was just which was great, you know. Jackie, it was Greg Giraldo who told me, you know, the best thing to do if you're a DJ is stay out of the way. And that's the one thing I always try to do when I'm on the phone with comics. How important is it, though, when you're trying to work in a studio and you're trying to do a bit, and these guys just, they step all over you sometimes? They're not giving you that your head. You know, I've been so many people, like, they like the big guns. So when I came into the room, it's like, you know, hold on, buddy, this is our show. But guys that knew better were just like you. You know, you always gave me so much room. And, and like Mark Simone gives me room. And Jim Carr and David Feldman and, and John Fugel says, it's time for me to spew jokes. They don't hold me back or say, hey, hey, you know, this is my show. You know, that's that's why I'm there, you know. And, and it's so funny when it's a new, like to this day, sometimes I go out of town and I get on a show. You can almost sense it when you walk in. They're like, all right, you know, they're not so fast, mister. Or, you know, or you only got three minutes. You know, that crap, you know. And, and But they find out pretty quick, you know. Jackie, one of the things I always loved about you and Howard and the show is Howard was so good when comics came in the room. The only thing is, I, I just wish you guys had more. I mean, how great was it to be in that room when there was a comic in there with Howard? It was such a battle to get anybody in there. I, I lobbied for Richard Jenny for so long. And then he finally got on the show after I had left. And one of the first things he said to Howard was, you know, Martling always told me he tried to get me in here. He was full of crap, right? And Howard said, yeah, Howard, well, at least was honest. He said, no, you know, he begged me to put you on for years and years. And so at, least, at, least, at least that got out there, you know. I remember we were doing an, uh, an Emmys or Grammys party in one of these big tents. And we were under the, the, the tent and we were broadcasting. I'll never forget. And on the other side of the plastic, but outside, like 10 feet away was Dennis Wolfberg and Joe Bolster. And they're like making faces at me. And I didn't know how to communicate to them. I have no say. I have no say in who comes there. Have you heard who Howard, Howard turned down like, you know, uh, 
with Jeff Daniels when he had Dumb and Dumber as number one movie, and he turned down like the the guy that had just won the Oscar for best director, whatever year it was. You know, like, yeah, what am I going to talk to him about? And, and me and Fred are like pulling our hair out. Once he got Gilbert in there or Belzy, oh. you know, he'd give him a little room. You know, he would let Sam go nuts. But when when Sam would go on the wagon, if he walked in and said, look at this, Howard, I got my 30-day chip. I can't tell you how quick Howard would get him the hell out of the studio. Because Sam was capital B boring, just not funny, totally boring. And he didn't know it. And Howard would just get him out of the studio. It was like, it was like rude. It's like when Hank Yang came in and said, Howard, I'm going to try and quit drinking. And he says, well, yeah, then you're also going to try to quit coming on the show. <laughs> Jack, you mentioned Dennis Wolfberg. How brilliant was Dennis Wolfberg? I mean, he was one of those guys. He, he passed away way too early. But what was he like? He was uh, either Bronx or Westchester. He was, he was a Jewish guy who was a teacher. And he decided to try and be a comic. And I'll never forget this because I had just started 1979 and I had passed at the comic strip. And I used to pick the guys up at the improv to go do gigs. And I picked up Peter Bales and Dennis Wolfberg. And we took my car to go do a ground round that actually had peanuts on the floor in Livingston, New Jersey. And that day when we went to pick up Wolfberg, when I picked those guys up, he said, I did it. I put in my resignation. I resigned my teacher's job. I'm going to comedy full time. And he had left his car park where if you didn't get it out of there by six in the morning, it would get towed because they cleaned the streets. So we're on our way to Livingston, New Jersey. My car blows up. We go off the road. We actually went to somebody's house and knocked on the door for some water to put in my radiator, which if you did that nowadays, you'd be shot. <laughs> and we got the car and got to Livingston, but my car was shot. And the, one of the girls, one of the waitresses said, oh, my, my, my brother could probably fix your car. You can spend the night at our house and my brother will fix your car. And I had all the equipment and all, when they came to get us, we called the club and they came to get us. And it was me and Bales and Wolfberg and my amplifier and a speaker and a microphone and a guitar and all that crap in the car. And they, they said, well, right, we'll come get you. And we're on the side of the road, and I said, I hope to God they know enough to come alone. And they show up with three girls in the car. And we had to fit me, Bales, Warburg, all the equipment. We get, get to the place. The girl says, all right, well, you know, my brother can uh, go get your car and fix it. But Wolfberg had to go home. So this is a true story. The day that he decided to quit teaching and become a comic, me and three drunken broads dropped off Bales and Wolfberg at the corner of 46 and Route 3 in Jersey to hitchhike back to Manhattan. And as we drove away, I was like, hey, Wolfberg, maybe, maybe you better, better make a phone call. <laughs> but he was great. You know, he was great. But that was his opening day as a professional comedian. I never forgot it. He always, always had a tan. If he went to Florida, he was out all day getting tan. If it was the winter in New York, he had a tanning bed, and he died of skin poisoning. Anybody was going to get it, it would have been him, and he got it. You have some of the most amazing encounters. Tell me about the, the JFK situation, what it was like meeting him, what he was like. JFK Jr., he came on the show, and he was just so handsome. Holy Christ. And Because uh, he, he came on the show to promote a magazine called George. 
he was just he just stupid handsome. I mean, he had the handsomeness of his mother, of his of his father, and the beauty of his mother, but in no way, in any kind of uh, fay way, he just was a, a handsome dude, and he just like his father, he could not have been nicer. Jackie, the other celebrity relationship that I just, it blows me away how close you are with this guy, Willie Nelson. How did that happen? How did it blossom? And how did you end up telling jokes on Willie Nelson's bus? It's crazy. Uh, I, this is the, it's actually, you know, every story I tell doesn't sound true, but I'll tell you. I worked in a, in a recording studio in the 70s. We had a band the owner of the, of the club where we worked, he owned two clubs and we played a night in each and we sold out the nights. And this girl broke my heart so bad you wouldn't believe it. And the owner thought I was going to kill myself. And we had a song we played called the pot song. And the people used to go nuts to it. And the, and the refrain at the end was roll up the reaper, you know, and Howard played it endlessly, endlessly. And, he just said, you know what? We're going to make a record out of that song. I'll back the record. And I said, okay, only if we could put my love song on the back. He said, okay, and we're going to record it at Kevin's. Now, Kevin was in a two-man group that played Beatles on a different night at each of the clubs. So, of course, just like the rib, I didn't know Kevin because we played different nights. So we went and recorded at his studio. And then we came and recorded it live to get the, the reaction at the end where you hear the crowd going berserk. And he said, you know what? You're a lot of fun. Why don't you come work here? So I worked there for $5 a day for a couple of years and learned just enough to know how to make a record, which is how I made my records and then met Howard. It's a whole timeline. In the course of working there, there was a band called Zebra, and they had a lockout. Their record company locked out the studio for two weeks so they could make an album. Now, when you're locked in a room with, a, with three guys from a rock band for two weeks, you get to be pals. It's like a foxhole. And I brought Randy Jackson, the famous guitar player, not, not to Randy Jackson from, from the show, but Randy Jackson, who's a major guitar player. I brought him home my house for Thanksgiving dinner and that was he was the victim of one of my grandmother's practical jokes which is like a whole nother story but I got to be good friends cut to 30 years later however many years later it's the end of the 90s and I get an email from a guy Jackie this is Felix from Zebra you probably don't remember me how you doing I said what do you mean don't remember you we spent two weeks together of course I do he goes yeah well how you doing he says uh I'd love to see you again. I said, well, let's get together and have a beer. He says, well, listen, my girlfriend massages the Jets and other sports teams and the Giants. And he says, you know what? Are you a Willie Nelson fan? I said, you know what? I'm not a big country guy, but I love Willie Nelson. He says, well, she massages him before every concert when he's in the area. So I go and meet them for a beer. We go down to Webster Hall. We're up in the catacombs watching Willie Nelson. And we're going to go smoke pot. <clears throat> and I'm going to meet him in the van, you know, in the bus afterwards. So we're watching and he's playing and he's playing and he's playing. It's like 1230. He probably started at 1030 or 11 o'clock. It's 1230. And I have to go all the way downstairs in Webster Hall to take a leak. And I go all the way down and I say, you know what, Jackie, if you go back up and you wind up going in that bus, 
You're not going to get to work tomorrow. You're going to get, you're going to get, you're going to wreck your life. Get the, get out of here. So I blew a chance to get stoned with Willie Nelson and took off. <clears throat> a couple weeks later, Felix and his, and his girlfriend, Lisa say, listen, we're going to do Willie again. He's at Westbury, uh, Westbury music fair. We want you to come. We go to Westbury music fair. It's me and Nancy and Felix and Lisa and two of the New York Giants. And we're up there watching Willie Nelson. All of a sudden, we're up in the, up in the upstairs uh, circle of Westbury Music Fair, running around looking for a place to smoke pot. So we're two of the Giants, right? So we're smoking pot in some little place. <clears throat> the show gets done. There are hundreds of people by, Willie's van, by his bus because he always waits. And after he takes a break, he signs every autograph till there's nobody left, which he has always done. So we're standing there like, what are we going to do? And his manager comes out and says, Felix, Jackie, where are you? Willie wants you. <clears throat> so we go through the horde of fans, me and Nancy and Felix and Lisa and these two giants who I should know who are going the bus. And here I am <clears throat> sitting across the Formica table from Willie Nelson, where if you saw it two weeks ago, Beto O'Rourke and Chris Matthews were sitting, right? Not, uh, the other guy, not Chris Matthews. <clears throat> so we're sitting there. And I said, Willie, I got some great homegrown. I got to join the homegrown. He said, well, spark it up, man. I'm like, so I take out my pot. And I said, you got a match. And I swear to you, Phil, we're looking for a match. The biggest pothead in the world has been on this bus for 50 years. And we're looking for a match. I, I thought I was going to pee my pants. And there's a little bus. So I'm opening every drawer, right? And I opened this little drawer. Now, when he had come on the show, we played uh, on the road again. Me and Howard and Fred and Scott and Willie played on the road again. It, it aired on the E! Channel. It was unbelievable. I took a guitar solo. It was unbelievable. So, of course, I found out the name of, of his bus driver and said all my stuff for them. And that probably was a year or two before that, right? <clears throat> I opened a drawer looking for a match. And there is a copy of my CD, Hot Dogs and Donuts. You could have knocked me over with a feather eye, and I pick it up. <laughs> it's still in the plastic. <laughs> I said, Willie, you just made my life, and in the same instant, you destroyed it. This is, a, this is like a coaster. And he laughed, and so we, we start smoking. So me and Willie, two New York Giants, Felix and Nancy and Lisa are all smoking pot while these hundreds of people are outside waiting. It's unreal. A couple weeks later, these, this girl that I knew that, that was the receptionist at Howard's workout place, the, the Reebok, calls up and says, hey, uh, my girlfriend works for Sony, and Willie Nelson's doing a show. You want to go? And I don't know if you remember, but Tony Bennett started this show where the performer would be there, and they'd take emails and suggestions from the audience of what the audience wanted to hear. Now, of course, I'm sure it was prearranged, but it kind of made it look spontaneous. So it was Willie and Dr. John, the most unreal show. And Sharon says, come on, we're going to go sit on the bus. Here it is, less than, less than a month later, I'm sitting in the van across from Willie. And he's like, what are you doing here again? I said, I swear to God, Willie, I have no idea how I'm here again. And... And from then on, we were pals. And then 
he found he knew I was a big joke teller. I started sending him jokes on email, and he he was hooked. I would send him five emails, seven emails, and then he'd send one back. And well, that's been going on for almost twenty years. And then I was down in Austin, and <clears throat> Felix and Lisa were down there, and I said, "Listen, you know, I know that Willie's doing the opening show for the uh, South by Southwest. Is there any way you could get us into the show? It's sold out." And they called up and said, yeah, but you got to do us a favor. I'm like, sure. They said, Willie is doing a, a, a public service announcement for hepatitis C. And he'd like you to be in it. He'd like you to come up to Luck, Luck Texas, the, the, the town that he bought, and be in it. That was the, the favor to Willie Nelson was to go hang out with him at his place in, in Luck, Texas. So since, since then, I've been to probably, I don't know, eight or ten concerts, and, and his daughter, Amy, became a great, great friend. I was on stage with them. At, at the end of his show, they used to sing uh, four or five gospel songs, and everybody that had been on the show would join them on stage. And I have iPhone video of me on the stage at, at Radio City with Willie and Amy, his daughter, and I, I just, you know, and his daughter is in a band called uh, Folk Uke, and it's her and Arlo Guthrie's daughter, Kathy Guthrie, and it's and they've all become such good friends, and it's like, it's like a pinch me moment, you know, it's been a pinch me. I, my friends came to see me host a, a big concert. They, Willie Willie agreed to perform in a marijuana concert, but only if normal. And the Marijuana Policy Project did it together because they didn't want to favor it. And I was on the, the board of Marijuana Policy Project, so I hosted. And after the show, me and the guys that had come from all around the country to see me host the show, like four of my oldest friends, joined Willie's family on the outskirts of Austin for lunch. It was him, his daughters, his granddaughters, his sisters, his, his whole entourage and me and these Oyster Bay guys, you've probably seen the pictures. It's like, it's unbelievable. And we're sitting there, and I said to my friends, I said, you know, Willie loves jokes, but, you know, I, we just can't walk over there and say, hey, Willie, and, and interrupt them. And they're like, yeah. And as I'm saying that, I swear on my mother, Phil, an arm is around my shoulder, and Willie leans forward and says to me, now don't stop me if you've heard this one. Because I want to hear it again. <laughs> I'll never forget that as long as I live. And it's just all a crazy intertwined story. And the piece de resonance of the story is the guy that worked in the studio. I mean, the guy that worked at Neptune's in the two-man band, the Beatles band, that asked me, you know, that I recorded at his studio to make the pot song. Now lives in the house I grew up in and is married to my sister. <laughs> Becky, as always, it's a pleasure. It's a privilege to be able to talk to you. And thank you so much for the time. Be sure to check out Jackie at Jokeland.com, Sirius XM, iHeartRadio, Alexa, you name it. He's everywhere. You've been listening to the 5-Minute Talk Show. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and keep listening at 5MinuteTalkShow.com.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.